Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist at American Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And his third to last podcast, anti-penultimate podcast here at Commentary. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Is is third to last or anti-penultimate? Anti-penultimate is... Which is less pretentious? Oh, anti-penultimate is way more pretentious. <laughs> but it's such a great word. I've never heard it or used it. I will now. And by the way, it's anti-A-N-T-E, not A-N-T-I, because it Before is... Before the... Anterior, like right, antebellum, exactly. right. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I, I love that word, and it's very rare that one can actually use it, so... <laughs> So today we are grateful to you. No, we are. We will be. We will. We Save are already up. getting sorry and feeling sad about about your departure. But we. But I love being able to use the word anti penultimate. <laughs> um, okay, we got a lot of we got we got a lot of things to get through and not that much time. So um, first off, uh, balloon. Uh, so apparently we knew about the balloon a week before uh, it hit. It it was seen over Billings, Montana. Right? Is that, well, we is that, that what we now know? No, we knew that. We knew that was they've been tracking it since January twenty eighth when it was first seen over Alaska. We have okay, new but news we now, now know that it was we... okay. So we now know that was a week. Okay. No, we now know that we saw it, or CBS News is reporting, we saw it a week before that, as it floated out of China. Um, and that we were tracking it. Is that is that what we know? That's that is a, yeah, that's that's the report okay. I saw. Okay, that they that they that they the U.S. intelligence has known about it since it launched. Um. Okay. So if we knew about it since it launched, uh, all right. Why? Okay. So, uh, either does this mean we should have been? We should. We were watching it. So we knew it would launched and we were watching it and then it did what we didn't want it to do, presumably, which is cross into our airspace. The question for me that this <clears throat> raises is not why didn't we down this thing earlier? Why did we down it at all? If well, that's what the assumption on the part answered. of that's just right. basic, based on their behavior alone, they were perfectly content to allow this thing to perform whatever operation it was going to perform. Only when it became visible by the naked eye and was revealed in the Billings Gazette did was there any public pressure on them to do anything, which they resisted for a good 72 hours before deciding on kinetic action, we're skipping right up the ladder of escalation to just destroying the thing, with a heavy dose of public pressure. Right. And then we're triumphalist about it. Then talked about how, you know, China, the State of the Union, China's not scared of us anymore, whatever Joe Biden decided to say. And then behaved like maniacs, paranoid lunatics, just blasting benign objects out of the sky. Well, we now think, right, because of the briefing at the Pentagon yesterday, where uh, John Kirby essentially said that the three subsequent balloons or whatever they were that we shot down did not have independent propulsion systems or something like that. The clear implication of that is that they were not hostile, harmful, or fright. That we we expanded our radar vision. We saw objects that we didn't know what they were, and then we used four hundred thousand dollar missiles to shoot them down. However, 
that's what Kirby said. This is why this is driving us all crazy, because in two of those cases, the Yukon one and the Lake Huron one, pilots and people who shot them down said they were not, did not seem like balloons, right? One said that it broke up when they shot it down. It was, it was some kind of craft that broke up that I think was either the U, I think that was the Yukon one. And then the Daily Mail has this story about the one they shot down over Lake Huron, the pilot saying, what is that thing? I don't know what that is. The shape is really, I, I don't, no, what is it? So it wasn't just a balloon. They decided yesterday to tell us that it was just a balloon, and apparently it wasn't just a balloon. Um, so I what the hell is going on here? The well, if they were oh, go ahead. is building up mm -hmm. around this to the point where it's like every possible conspiratorial position is is going to be occupied by someone uh throughout this because we have not only do we still have no answers we have an increasing number of possibilities uh for what the, what these scenarios are it's we're, we're not we're it's it's not getting narrowed down it's like ballooning it sorry <laughs> ballooning out. that was an well, accident no, but that's right because i mean if kirby said both that they were benign or commercial well then why doesn't the if it's commercial why doesn't the business or entity that has commercial satellite type object in over our airspace step forward and say oops our bad you know that was our or who so and if it's benign then what is it if it's benign <laughs> i mean abe's absolutely right the, they they continue to raise more questions than answers when they're ostensibly giving us briefings about what's going on so this is why you want to this is also kind of a, the, oh, the, i'm sorry just briefly oh, just please. the public reaction to this from the press and the political class makes you even more paranoid because they're not treating this like it matters at all. Like the press is treating this like it's kind of a lighter side story. We'll do an aliens segment, we'll dip into the weird subculture that looks at aliens and stuff. If the Trump administration had behaved exactly as the Biden administration would behave, all the people who forced us to litigate every insane conspiracy theory, every nonsense idea like D donald trump is trying to sabotage mailboxes we had to talk about that for a week we would be freaking they would be freaking out duly freaking out the minute the white house is blowing commercial aircraft out of the sky over north america and nobody cares hey by the way total total uh tangent do you know who is running the u.s postal service right now it's still the Lewis DeJoy, the same guy that we spent three months hearing was trying to corrupt. <laughs> well, they were protesting outside system. his apartment in D.C. for, for yeah. months. It's, the yeah. guy, the Biden administration has been in place now for what is it? Two, almost, two more years. than two years. He is still there. So where does he go to get an apology from those hysterical, lunatic conspiracy theory jerks? who were like blackening his name. Okay, I I don't really care. I'm just saying if he was so terrible, they would have fired him and replaced him as postmaster general or whatever the hell title he has. Anyway, total tangent. So they are driving us all crazy. They're not gaslighting us, but there are the, there is this possibility, which is that this is the best news, the CBS news, which is we knew it was there. We knew it was flying out of China. We decided we weren't going to do anything because it wasn't 
in our airspace. We were watching it. We were monitoring it. For all we know, we sent them a message saying, uh, just make sure you don't cross into our airspace because we have this thing that needs to be explained. And the thing that makes this an international incident was the postponement of the Secretary of State's trip in response to the balloon crossing into uh, American airspace. So either we never knew that they had this capability, in which case we were like, what the hell? Oh my God, you know, we can't, I don't even, we can't even have this meeting. Something weird is going on here. Or we knew and we warned them to stay out of our airspace and they didn't listen. And then we had to respond like, and it was like, don't do this now. We're coming on on Sunday. <laughs> and then they did it anyway. So which do you think is the, because somebody decided to let us know that we knew about it a week earlier than we knew we knew about it. I mean, I think Noah's point here is excellent. Like for all we know, they were on track to let it happen without any objection letting Blinken make his trip and all of it. And then someone spotted it. That's it. That's the only reason why I had any reaction. The only reason why we shot it down is because people started saying, shoot it down. Otherwise it wouldn't have. And it makes sense retroactively. If you believe the administration, I'm still a little fuzzy on it. If this is a routine occurrence, which they apparently insist it is. So then what makes this one different? Save for the fact People saw it. It descended to an altitude that people could see it. Not a threat to commercial aircraft, not at 60,000 feet, but just that people saw it and it became a news story. So that's... Which is, uh, not, a, which is not a strategy. <laughs> this administration is not pursuing, crafting, demonstrating any kind of strategic purpose here vis-a-vis -vis our, our relations with China on a, in a military level to say nothing of all these other objects that were apparently blowing out of the sky. They're just improvising, which is really disconcerting because we're improvising into a live fire zone over the United States. I mean, just to say those words, you should be, everybody should be at kind of like DEFCON 2 here. Yeah, we at shouldn't really improvise with our, Sidewinder missiles. <laughs> our con The level of our conversation, the tone and tenor of our conversation, as far as I've experienced it over the last six years, is, is this a dramatic departure from what we've previously experienced. Nobody seems to be interested in doing much speculation on this thing. Maybe they shouldn't be, but that didn't stop them for I the last know. half decade. Do you, I mean, socially, let's, you're talking about the, like the media and so, but I mean, socially, I've had multiple conversations with people who are unnerved by what's going on. I'm not talking about, you know, like, people in the business, you know, who do this for a living. Um, it did break through in that sense. Like it is, it is literally what news is, right? It is something new that's happened that hasn't happened before. And this has two faces of that. Like one is the actual fact that we are shooting things down, as you said yesterday, over North America for the first time in history, and the other is that there are these craft that we don't really entirely understand. And that's two pieces of news at once, both a little unnerving or more than a little unnerving. And it has broken through to that extent. And obviously it broke through on Capitol Hill and in the, you know, sort of in the ongoing, you know, 
policy and procedural war between the two parties. It is the administration's extremely peculiar handling of the news, understanding, as I said, from the from the get-go when we started talking about this last week or whenever it was, that there's a lot they can't and shouldn't and don't want to say or talk about in terms of what we know about these things because that will in, let our enemies understand or our adversaries in the world understand how, the extent to which our intelligence you know, sees into their activities. Um, somehow somebody got the idea it would be good to tell CBS News that we we knew about this much earlier, which, as I say, has a possibly exculpatory quality to it, which is we weren't frightened of it, we weren't scared, we were watching it, and then when when it when it got to a place where we had to act, we acted. But in fact, we weren't taken by surprise, and we 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 weren't we weren't we 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 didn't not know about what they were up to, um, or they wanted to convey that message. Although they're not conveying that message in the CBS news story, that's the net effect of the message. But if their purpose is to say, "Everybody, calm down. We knew it. We knew it. We saw it coming out of China. We were monitoring. We were watching it." Then it crossed into our territory and we had to do something. But we did something. We were very deliberate and, you know, we didn't just shoot it down immediately. And then we thought, you know what, we can get information on what they're doing by traversing the American continent. And then we'll shoot it down over the Atlantic. But somebody's got to get up and say that. What I just said, somebody's got to get up and say that. God save the person who gets up and says it, frankly. I'm sorry, because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Either Why? we're observing this thing for counterintelligence purposes. Yeah. Or we're not. Either it's a threat or it isn't. We didn't behave the way you described between January 28th and February 4th. I'm sorry, February 3. We downed it on right. February 4th. We behaved the way you described right up until the minute we fired a Sidewinder missile at this thing, at which point it became a threat. We executed kinetic operations against an asset from a hostile foreign power. And all, and otherwise, we would have just let it do its business. And none, nobody would be any, the, any wiser if it had just been operating at a at an altitude we wouldn't have to worry about, right? So then we wouldn't have presumably taken any kinetic action against this thing if it hadn't right. been seen. So explain that. I can. I mean, I can. I, I I can come up with an explanation. Whether that explanation is true or not, I have no idea. The explanation is we know about their program. One of the things that we do about the, we, we do with this program is monitor these craft and how they move and what they're doing. Maybe we feed somehow we feed them garbage SIGINT that they collect and we watch them and we don't do anything about them because we don't want them to know that we know that they know that we know. And that's why we didn't do anything. And then it, it got visible and then it became a political issue. And then Biden had to shoot it down. Now, that's my that's my answer to your question. I is that true? How on earth can we know? Dribs and drabs of pieces of information that are contradictory every 12 hours. It is yeah, a balloon, but, it's not a balloon. By the way, one of the things that that's contradictory in terms of that um otherwise I thought excellent potential story. Thank you. Um is is that Part of what the administration is saying here is that we haven't, in fact, known about these until now, 
and then um, sort of going back into the data set and sort of um, reverse figuring out that that these things have been passing over us. So how can right. we simultaneously have been okay with them when we didn't know about them? I mean, Senator Bill Cassidy was at you know yeah left a classified briefing yesterday on the shootdowns and asked whether if he supported how the U.S. responded to these objects. I do, he said. Asked if they were a threat to the public. No. That makes no sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. These are benign. He says we haven't recovered them yet, but the public reporting is that they're benign objects, but we destroyed them anyway. Why? Why? Um. Right. Well, which ones? The um, unidentified objects. Right. Well, so, it, yeah. So if we knew that they were benign before we shot them, that's pretty bad. Can't we maybe establish that that's pretty bad? First of all, there may be their private property. You know, it's like, it's like, they're acting like it's a suitcase that was left, you know, outside an airport, you know, on, and then they have to blow it up. Right. You know, I was at, I was actually in Paris once and they shut the airport down for an hour and a half because somebody left a suitcase and they brought that little, you know, that thing that they put over and they put over on top of it and screw it down and then they blow it up. And then we are, you know, we got to take off three hours later. So it's like that. Um, so if they're benign, then, you know, the the fact that we're like shooting at them is kind of weird. I don't think we know that they're benign. That's the weird part. I don't know what they told Cassidy and what the briefing was. But if this Daily Mail report that I was just quoting from about what the pilots were saying when they shot down the thing over Lake Huron is true, how would they know that it was benign? The pilots who are granted are flying very fast. Apparently, they were flying much faster than it itself. And so that made making sense of what the object was a little hard. And that's maybe why they had to shoot two sidewinders at it because they're going so fast they couldn't actually target it appropriately or something. But they're like, I don't know what that is. The shape doesn't make sense. I don't really understand what's going on there. And then again, I go back to the Yukon one where they said, it wasn't, it was hard and it broke, it was a hard object the size of a car and it broke up. Balloons don't break up there, you know, by definition almost. So, so it wasn't a balloon and this one maybe wasn't a balloon. So they're now saying it was benign. It didn't have propulsion. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. How did they, I don't understand what it is that they're telling us. Just based on the dribs and drabs of information that are coming out, unless those dribs and drabs are false, which is also possible. Okay, so they're doing a really bang up job. Thanks very much to the Biden administration and its handling of this uh, of this uh, uh, unique and unprecedented event to really give us a sense that they have their hands on the tiller. Uh, let's move on to the Biden administration's current. Uh, it's not its actions, but rather the actions of the special prosecutor in the Trump investigation. Big story in the New York Times and uh, basically endorsed by Andy uh, McCarthy in National Review. Not the story, but the but the but the fact pattern laid out in the story that um, uh, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, is preparing to indict Trump for obstruction of justice because 
he is going after Trump's lawyers in a very unique way. Obviously, lawyers have attorney-client privilege, cannot be made to testify against their clients, except in there's an exception for felony crime, in which case, if lawyers are being used to further a felony, they lose their attorney-client privilege, they lose the ability to remain silent in court and can be compelled to testify under pain of, you know, being sent to jail for, um, you know, refusing to testify or whatever. Um, so I think three, now two Trump lawyers and two more are like in the, you know, what like are in the batter circle, uh, in the on deck circle, um, are, have been, have been called or either are being called, have already been called or are going to be called before this grand jury to testify about this felony crime thing and you would only do that if you thought you had him dead to rights and you needed these guys to basically sing to save themselves from prison um so the whole thing where it's like they won't indict trump because of biden and they won't do this and they won't do that anybody really think that if this guy let let, let me just pant let me let, let me pose this to you this guy jack smith goes to garland and says uh, I have enough to indict Trump on obstruction of justice. You think Garland's going to say no? Is there any way on earth Garland says no? Because of if he did that, that would almost be an admission that Biden was guilty. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you don't want to be Garland. It's a tough decision either way with blowback either way from from either side of the aisle. But uh, I think it would be a much worse precedent to to argue that former or sitting presidents are above the law. The whole purpose of our system is that we have a legitimate way through a process, a justice process to remove someone from office or to indict them after they've left office for behavior that is criminal. So that that has to be the principle. The rule of law has to be the principle that he uh, that, that's motivating him here, even as he obviously will have to weigh kind of thoughts of precedent and, and ideally not the political pressure. That's not his job. His job is to is to enforce the rule of law. And if it's just obstruction, then you can narrow the indictment to just obstruction waive the charges regarding uh the mishandling of classified documents because obviously everybody would have to be indicted on those grounds and say listen they gave us false statements they did they told us to go looking somewhere the documents weren't i mean that's just a cut and dried case that doesn't sweep up joe biden or for that matter mike pence and kind of maintains the precedent that was established for hillary clinton dubious as it is but that is the precedent well, the only way you indict Trump is if the lawyers say he told me to do this. Now, we know from reporting, the the reporting about this over the course of the last year has suggested that Trump directed them to, you know, not give things or to move them around. There are their line or the Trump line has been they told us to take this when we said we had this stuff. They said, OK. Take it, put it in a room and lock it up in a basement. And we did that. So what are they, why are they yelling at us now? We did what they asked us to. And then the, the, the line from the, again, the reporting about what happened is they didn't really, there was stuff all around the house that wasn't just in the locked room in the basement and other people had access to it and blah, 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 blah. Um, I take your point that the that the obstruction charge then releases them from having to deal with the classified information charge that it, that implicates Biden. But then, in terms of the blowback and the political effect, net effect, 
it's not like indicting Capone on on you know being on tax cheating. But it's a little like indicting Capone on tax cheating. It's like if the underlying possession of the documents is not a crime, or they're not willing to say that that's a crime, but their behavior around the documents is the crime, then it's like, oh, come on. You're only doing this so you don't have to deal with the Biden problem. I mean, maybe, but that's that's frankly preferable. They're in a bad position, when, whatever they do. But it's frankly preferable to saying, well, we can't indict this guy on a clear violation of statute because the other guy... Will, it'll look political and the other guy maybe will benefit from it. That's doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. Right. So there's right. no right. There's no way out of of an uh, again, talk about news like an unprecedented political, uh, legal, uh, presidential situation here. If he if he indicts or he doesn't indict or if he whatever, like it, it well, nothing like, like you know, this has ever happened before. If if. You know, if if both choices are as problematic as they are, might as well come down on the side of the law. At least you have that covered. And, Absolutely. And coming down on the side of the law when it comes to classified documents, mishandling and classified documents is just off the table. It's off the table. Why is it just because of because Biden? Of, because of James Comey. Mishandling classified that was off the table because of James Comey on on what uh, just well because he established the Hillary Clinton precedent, which we're now applying to Donald Trump, which we've now applied to Joe Biden, and now we're arguing whether or not you know because because if you indicted one, you'd have to indict the others, and all of and us Pence are pretty much too. in agreement. All of us are pretty much in agreement. They're not going to do that, right? I, they're not going to charge I, Joe I, Biden, Mike Pence, uh, Donald Trump, maybe retroactively Hillary Clinton, half a dozen other people in in positions of uh, that that had the, that charge thrown out i mean it's that's just not going to happen okay i i are we in agreement there i mean i think that's i only have one i only have one wild card for you which is the guy who is the special prosecutor in the biden case i mean we don't know what he's if he finds open and shut evidence of something or other i mean that would be that maybe uh, who knows i have no idea what goes on you mean here, evidence so of obstruction on the biden part or of of maybe moving documents after i they don't knew yeah they, i yeah. i don't know i'm just saying there is somebody investigating biden who right. could come to garland and say i haven't you know we can indict biden one thing Remember, we never is, we... talked about is joe biden's admission that one of those documents was from 1974 right. now, who knows whether or not you know he's got a loose attachment to reality so who knows what he's saying is true or well not. and that that might be exculpatory for him like yeah, yeah that's, that's just way, old way stuff. worse, way, yeah, way I mean, worse. It was very strange well it's complicated though because in fact not only is there like a statute of limitations issue involving something that's 49 years old but you don't know where the law was on these matters it actually has changed over the years and how this what what is considered classified how you handle classified all of that <laughs> is not the same as it was but presumably it would still be in a uh, skiff in the Capitol Hill basement. I don't know that they even had, I don't even know that they had skiffs in 1974. I mean, somebody, somebody in our, the, in our earshot knows whether there were skiffs in 1974, but um, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know that. So skiff is a self-contained underwater breathing secure apparatus. compartmentalized information. <laughs> facility. Yeah. It's a, yes, it's a secure company and, and, and literally room, there are rooms like this, but room, and a room can be declared a skiff if it is a place that where you show somebody documents and you just have people standing outside it. But it's the it's the area in which you are 
to look at documents that you can't take with you. Okay. Anyway, uh, I think it is now odds on that Trump will be indicted is what I'm saying. Unless these, unless this is just like a crazy fishing expedition and, uh, and Jack Smith is like trying, you know, it's like doing a Hail Mary play, pulling in the lawyers and yelling at them and frightening them and getting them to say, no, no, it was him all the time. He did it. He did it. You know, like Perry Mason, you know, um, which is possible. Um, uh, and the leak of the story itself may be just a way of increasing the pressure on 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 Alina Haba and other Trump lawyers who uh, who were involved in this process that then involves our old friend Boris Epstein, who was sort of coordinating all the lawyers. I mean, it's like, it's like a kind of old home week, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like when an old, a guest star returns two seasons after his, you know, you know, memorable appearance, uh, Boris Epstein's name just, you know, pops up like a, like a, what do you say? Like a dirty penny or like a, okay. Anyway. Uh, all right, so uh, there's that. And then we have um, two interesting Washington, D.C. and New York. So our two favorite cities here on this podcast. Uh, a member of Congress was attacked in her own building by a homeless person, uh, viciously beaten, I think, in an elevator uh, by a homeless person. Uh, the same day that that happened, or a couple of days later, came the news that um, felony crime in New York is now up, uh, you know, 21% year to year and uh and so uh Eric Adams the mayor uh who was elected to deal with the crime problem is not dealing with the crime problem and these are two cities in also city states I mean city state sort of in Washington because it has its own legal code and New York is part of a state that has wildly liberalized its treatment of misdemeanors and felonies and has basically tilted itself very much in the direction of not enforcing the law against uh sort of like maybe call it like person to person confrontations that don't involve guns or knives uh and christine let fill me in so uh the D.C. City Council has uh, revamped the or proposed this revamp of the criminal code, D.C. criminal code. One of the things it does is remove a lot of the mandatory minimum sentencing for uh, serious and uh, including violent crimes, you know, rapists getting out earlier than their prison sentences otherwise would have had them. Um, and it, it raised a lot of alarm bells for people because it kind of got shoved through the mayor, actually, who's who's no conservative, uh, vetoed it. And the city council overrode her veto. So this was where we were. A lot of people sort of waking up to the fact that our city council, and particularly um, a guy named Charles Allen, who represents Capitol Hill, is a defund the police, you know, total progressive nightmare when it comes to anything regarding criminal justice. So flash forward um, uh, uh, this Representative Angie Craig, a Democrat from Minnesota, gets attacked and come to find out. And this this, by the way, is it's 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 sort of, sort of frustrating for D.C. residents. This sort of thing happens every day in the district. It got national attention and it's making national news, which is a good thing because it's going to start a conversation that should have been started months ago. Um, but this happens to regular people in D.C. all the time. The fact that she was a sitting member of Congress made it a national news story. She then came out and and quite vehemently said, this is ridiculous. This guy had a rap sheet a mile long, including for violent assault. 
And he never served time. In fact, he was out after having served, I think, about 30 days after attacking a cop. So, you know, she she, of course, did the obligatory. Oh, we need more mental health stuff. Blah, blah, blah. He, fine. That's fine. But what we really need to do is have repeat offenders, particularly violent repeat offenders off the street. Now, what's going on in D.C. right now is that our extremely progressive city council under the sway of a nonprofit group that's a defund the police uh extravaganza called the DC Justice Lab, which uh, does not reveal who its donors are, but has a kind of defund the police, you know, typical strategy there, uh, basically boasts about having helped write this recent bill. So now a lot of residents and DC is a deep, deep, deep blue city, even the Democrats, and I speak to all of their all my neighbors and friends are saying this has gone too far. We have carjackings every day. We have, you know, we had we just had a funeral for a Metro employee who died defending another defending a passenger against an attack by a man who came and started shooting uh, in a Metro station. Um, he was right near retirement too, uh, Mr. Cunningham. So we have a problem with crime in the district and we do not have leadership from the mayor except that she veto this bill. So the Republicans in Congress who have oversight of the district are now talking about this. And now we've got Angie Craig talking about this, which is all for the good. I hope this shows that we're going to start to have, I hope, a new generation of tough on crime Democrats in blue areas. We need those. We need some Democrats to step up and say this it, this has gone too far. So I actually see her outspokenness about this is a very good sign. And from what I hear about fellow uh, D.C. residents who always vote Democrat, they're not happy with how how far this has gone. People are worried about public safety. It's a huge issue. And we should look to holding accountable the prosecutors. In our case, we have federal prosecutors. For, for crime in D.C. because we're a weird district. We're not a state. But look at what happened in Michigan this week with this mass shooting. That was a guy who was who pled down to a misdemeanor, a previous gun charge. They pled him down to a misdemeanor, an openly progressive prosecutor who talked about not wanting to jail people. He comes back, gets a gun, which he never should have had and kills people. That prosecutor should be held accountable for those deaths. And we do not have a system in place right now where those prosecutors are being held accountable for releasing violent felons onto the streets. Okay, accountability is the issue here because uh, to broaden this out, you know, we had Nancy Rommelman on a couple of weeks ago talking yeah, about this crazy. horrible case in in Portland where this uh, woman was killed by her husband or domestic partner or something like that, uh, having spent two years begging uh, for protection from him and this, you know, private fund basically bailed him out and then he came and he killed her. Um we have in New York and places like that bail reform that has basically meant that people get out once they're arrested and then they commit more crimes um, and early releases and things like that. And the question is how in the face of rising crime and rising social decay and disorder, how will the public hold the elected officials who pass these laws or are the prosecutors that they elect, how are they going to hold them accountable in these one party cities? I mean, you know, in the 70s, well, Andy Craig 80s, has a yeah. leg to stand on there. I mean, unfortunately she's one of the yeah. usual suspects here when it comes to Democrats who are willing to buck the, the social trends on the left. She was one of the first Democrats because she was the first Democrat in Congress to criticize Minneapolis ballot question two, which in 2020 would have replaced the city's police department with public safety agencies, whatever that is. So <laughs> she's actually been out there talking about this there is room i think on as christine's right room on the left for for a criminal justice reformer who's smart on these issues and who takes public safety seriously 
bond and bail reform is a real live issue. And as you say, John, like the, the story that Nancy was talking about illustrates the degree to which the social contract around bond and bail has broken down. The social contract isn't that, well, we'll just throw a bunch of money at this person and get them out, but it doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. Bond is supposed to be something that you put up or somebody you know puts yeah. up. Or your family puts up. So yeah, for very good reason. Because to... the idea, right. And the very, the, the logic there is uh, it really hurts if you skip on your bond. Like you're, you're hurting yourself you or you lose your, that your, money. Your yeah. Family, there's social family. pressure. Yeah. There's social pressure on you to, right. to not skip, skip yeah. town or, or right. be a recidivist. Right. So yeah, make it illegal. Right. When American politics was more, um, let's say, uh, flavored or uh, heterodox, um, uh, the situation in cities and across the country was you had cities that were largely run by Democratic machines from time immemorial. You know, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, for the most part, even though there were occasionally Republican reformist mayors who then weren't really reformist or very Republican. But mostly you had all of these, you know, sort of like, but politicians in them had all kinds of um, cross pressures, ideological cross pressures, Catholic Church being the main one in you know Boston, Detroit, Chicago, New York. Um, and uh, thus you had like pro-life Democrats. You know, you had this whole world of pro-life Democrats who represented urban centers. And you had these ethnic politicians who were very close down to the ground in their neighborhoods and cities who were watching. Remember, federal politicians can't do much about state law. But certainly, even in these places, you had people who were keeping the political system from going haywire in favor of defendants against the system. And it was courts that were liberalizing rules undemocratically, you know, like we're declaring that this and that was unconstitutional. And that was the and you know, we then had this entire revolution in which people said the judiciary is going crazy, is like making, is becoming a legislature, making its own rules, making its own laws in terms of criminal justice. And a lot of the voices against that were precisely these same urban ethnic Democrats who were representing these neighborhoods who were otherwise like reliable, you know, economically left-wing votes, let's say, as opposed to, but but had this much more flavored thing. You now have basically these cities that have been that have become captured by quote activists unquote which is to say people who do nothing they're not politics they they they're special interest groups like sorry dc i'm sorry to interrupt dc justice lab which is which had heavy influence that it boasts about over our city council's criminal justice code rewrite they are a special interest group they are funded by we don't know who large amounts of money are thrown at them and and their goal is to they are just look if you don't like lobbyists that's what these groups are and they are not accountable to voters and then their people run for office and then their people get elected and they have this they have fealty not to improve it. This is the weird part. Like they don't have this sense that their purpose is to like make a better, make sure that their constituents live better lives. Even, even in the graft sense, like they're not walking around figuring out ways to get people jobs in, you know, in the city or, or, you know, or to, or to make some deals so that like their local employer doesn't like shut them down or fire them or something like that that that's the lowest thing or like doing whatever they can to get jobs into the district or whatever they 
have a fealty to a ideological worldview that is much broader. So that's why you have AOC who doesn't give a crap about her constituents and in fact works to prevent a 25,000 job company from coming in to her district in Long Island City that was Amazon which was going to build this second headquarters in 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 Long Island City and basically she the congressman from this area drove them out rather than providing jobs. She doesn't care about their security. She doesn't care about the classic little old lady walking home and then getting mugged or, you know, having their bags. They don't care about their individual constituents and the lives that they lead. And until they're made to care, either by being replaced or being scared, having the daylight scared out of them about their own futures, I just don't understand how things are going to change you know well they like got scared all... yeah, go i mean you know part of the problem here is that they 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 got scared in 2021 about their defund positions right so they reversed that but that was already a step beyond the 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 problematic st status quo before the defund movement but the people I'm talking about have not given up on defund. I mean, the people that Christine's talking about are still, I mean, they're, yeah. whether they use the terminology or not, they are still there. And the people who populate the New York you know, Assembly are still there. And the question is, what, what can break their hold well, on the policymaking apparatus that is making the lives of people whom they represent unlivable. And I, I don't, you would think that that would be well, axiomatic. Look, but but yeah. in, in, in cities like DC, it's going to take, and this is already happening. We have carjackings now in every ward, violent carjackings. And we just had one in like Friendship Heights, which is, you know, Ward 3, very, you know, generally peaceful, low crime areas are now getting regularly during broad daylight, people getting guns shoved in their faces when they're unloading their groceries. And that is that's traumatic for people like this idea that, oh, well, you didn't get hurt and insurance will cover your car, which is kind of the city progressive city council response. No, that's not the case. Somebody threatening your life with a gun in your face is a hostile, violent act. That person should not be allowed to walk the streets of the city. I don't care if they're a juvenile because a lot of these crimes in D.C. are committed by juveniles. So we have a two tier system right kids up to age 25 in dc will get like a little slap on the wrist and sent right back home with a, with a hug from a progressive city council member and told to do better and they just keep repeat offending because we don't lock them away and we should lock some of these kids away in a system that is very different from the adult system obviously not in prison but some sort of rehabilitative juvenile system that actually works and helps them find some consistency in their world so that they can change their behavior if they choose to for the adults we're doing the same thing. We're, they know there are no consequences for this. We have criminals who regularly flee into the district from Northern Virginia and Maryland because they know if they get caught there, it's going to be less of a, right. they're going to do a lot less time. So that idea, this idea that, that we can hold them accountable. I personally, I would love to see some extremely savvy lawyer figure out a way to hold responsible, whether it, I mean, obviously with civil penalties of some sort, prosecutors who paper these felons and let them back out on the streets and then they go on to kill again. They do have some, they certainly have moral responsibility for what they did, but maybe we need to make them feel some sort of financial or professional impact. Something right. needs to happen to change that. So these we have progressive a mixed prosecutors right. are doing So we this. have a mixed record on that, right? We have an effort to get Larry Krasner, the, uh, the progressive right. prosecutor. Political efforts, yeah. In, in Philadelphia, like 
you know, knocked out and that failed. But Chesa Boudin was recalled right. in, in San Francisco. But I'm talking about actually people who've been victimized right. by a criminal who was let loose. Like, why not file a civil lawsuit? I mean, this is look, you could this try, is, I suppose. I mean, you, it's are, very you difficult, are indemnified against right. you are indemnified against right. such such things. But, but that's but I know. mean what is needed here is are political con these right. are this is political, political acts. Laws are being passed that need to be revoked. And there's no pressure. There's no political pressure being levied on these. That's right. On these politicians, I don't understand why there will be. I mean, it just does. It it stands. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense that it's not happening yet. And maybe. And this is the thing about our politics getting so ideologized and polarized, is that you don't have that thickness I'm talking about. You know, you don't have that. I'm this way on this and that and the other thing that makes me a Democrat. But, you know, my mother lives in that neighborhood and she can't go out at night because she's too terrified. And that that has to stop like that's well, the other thing that's politics, the other thing that's happening in yeah. certainly in D.C. And, and elsewhere, if you look at gun sales, people are starting to arm themselves to protect themselves. They do not feel safe in their neighborhoods if they don't if they if the cops are not doing the kind of more aggressive policing that's necessary in high crime neighborhoods, which they certainly aren't in my city. Why would they? They're down like 800 officers this year and they're told to sit in their cars and be reactive, not proactive. They've disbanded the units that used to do that work. All that's been going on for years. So we have a guy who was recently charged um, because he he shot a, some uh, shot at kids who were breaking into cars late at night in his neighborhood. Um, he everyone involved was African American, so the racial issue didn't exactly come up here. But people are you're going to see more vigilante behavior, which is totally not good <laughs> in terms of the stability of society. But there are a lot of people arming themselves now because they don't feel like there's a that law enforcement's going to be there, or that if these guys get caught, that there's going to be any consequence. And that's also. Um, you don't want that kind of fear-based vigilante mindset setting in for for even a small minority of people in a city. That changes the tone of of your civic space, not for the better. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, wait, we wait, have... wait. Before we oh. go, real briefly, one one yeah. quick update on because okay. I ended yesterday with a prediction that I think is going to pan out. I want to do okay. another one. Okay. So, according to uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, tells reporters this morning he's not aware of any additional objects operating in American airspace in the last forty eight hours. I seem to recall being told when we broadened the aperture of NORAD sensors that there were hundreds of these things and we just yeah. don't, we, they're everywhere. We had no idea. Yeah. My theory, we've closed the aperture. Our long balloon nightmare <laughs> is ending. <laughs> Such a no, it's right. It's like, it's like, you disaster. don't want COVID, don't test. That was what Trump said, yeah, yeah. right? I don't want any of this testing. The numbers will go down. The numbers terrible. <laughs> We'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Pot Horitz. Keep the candle burning.